Welcome to this Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'll be joined in just a moment by my boy, Ryan Lavner, who is finally back out on the road for the first time since I can't imagine when. The Ryder Cup, maybe. That might be the last time he was out there. And we will recap last week's American Express Abu Dhabi Championship and look ahead to this week's events at Torrey Pines. Before we get to that, a word on Callaway. Callaway has developed their longest irons ever in the new Rogue ST line. These irons are breaking new ground with a high-strength 450 AI face cup that's never been seen before in the industry. Callaway has continued to push innovation through their patented urethane micro, mm, microspheres and have massively increased their precision tungsten weighting. The new Rogue ST lineup is available in four impressive options to suit every type of player, including the Rogue ST Max for incredible speed, forgiveness, and performance. For more, visit CallawayGolf.com. Dot com. That one got me. You can go ahead and laugh. Take, this is why this is why I can't travel because you clearly can't handle the sponsor read. This is the first sponsor read you've done yeah. in four months, and you butchered it. You're, Let me even, try. you're even practicing. Callaway really has continued to push done. innovation through their patented urethane microspheres. Hmm, got it. The second microspheres. Time. That sounds impressive. How's the road, laugh? It looks like, based on what I'm what I see through the Zoom call here that uh, you're at the comfortable and glorious courtyard in Solana Beach. Is that true? It is. We are recording at 5.54 a.m. local time. Apologies to uh, our friend in room 277, who is next door and probably trying to get a good night's rest. Uh, I've been up going on three hours at this point. Uh, I typically stay on East Coast time. (laughs) I popped popped right up at 3.10 a.m. local time, which is the time that I wake up. East Coast time at 6.10, went downstairs to go get some coffee, and the guy just snarled at me and huffed and said, we don't have coffee till 6.30. So here we are. We're doing the podcast report. Without coffee. That's got to be hard for you. Super dangerous. This is just going to be the grumpiest, most ill-spirited podcast in Golf Channel history. You're at the happiest place in the world, though. Like, that's just the one event that I miss not going to. Like, Torrey Pines, Solana Beach. The Brigantine across the street, Dog Beach right around the corner. I mean, it is it is glorious days for you. I was driving home yesterday. I had an early day. It was a long travel day. Left the golf course around three thirty or four, and I was driving down. What's that highway? One hundred one, I think it is. Uh, down the edge of the cliff, and you're driving by the ocean. I just said, "Man, what a glorious piece of property." There's people playing beach volleyball. It's seventy degrees. Dogs running everywhere. People are rollerblading, biking, running, hiking. I mean, it is just a glorious property. And yesterday was just a postcard day. I actually think the weather's supposed to be incredibly entire week. This is this is always one of my favorite events. It doesn't feel quite as big, Rex, and I'm sure you you agree with this. It doesn't feel quite as big without Tiger in the field. I know we've gotten accustomed to this over the past five or six years, not having Tiger. Hey, like, what, why is this new? You're, you're throwing this out there like we were having the just. Podcast. It just doesn't feel like it used to. This always felt like the unofficial kickoff to the golf year. I mean, this was the first time we would have seen Tiger for a couple of months. There was always an anticipation that he could win another one, obviously. It just doesn't feel quite as big. We have an incredible field. So, I mean, six of the top 10 players in the world are teeing up this week. But there is a little something missing when you don't have that Tiger bump at the beginning of the year. It just, it just felt like a big deal. I can see where you're coming from. Again, this is probably a conversation we could have had 48 months ago simply because it's sort of become the new reality. I will say this. The one thing that I was thinking about when I woke up this morning in my own bed after I read I home from uh, Los Angeles on Sunday night was this is going to be that first real test. 
that we've, we've had to deal with all of the pushback on social media about, oh, these golf courses are too hard and they're pushovers. And it's not been on all social media. John Rum seemed to have an issue with the way the golf course was set up last week, and we'll get into that as well. But this one, is it seems like you finally have a reason to pay attention to every shot because there is danger waiting on every shot at Toy Pines, at least on the south course, uh, a little bit more so to the north course over the last couple of years. But on the south course, it's going to be, okay, go out. You need to make X amount of pars, and if you have a few opportunities and a couple birdies, it's nice. It's a good transition. I'm not part of that gallery that's been screaming that it's been too easy the last few weeks, but I certainly like to see them tested. So I'm going to workshop, workshop something uh, with you, Russ, because the story that okay. I'm writing for GolfChannel.com on Tuesday is kind of playing off what John Rom uh, said. And if you guys missed it, a fan was videoing Rom as he stormed off one of the greens at PGA West and basically called it a, um, uh, pardon my French, piece of, what's the word, Rex? Piece Ooh. of piece of poop. Uh, yes, a putting contest week. That, uh, I'm sure was a belief held by a lot of PJ Tour players, especially of Rom's ilk and caliber, because it is a it is a putting contest at PJ West, just as it was a putting contest at Kapalua, just as it was a putting contest at Wailai. You look at the players who won those golf tournaments. Cameron Smith led the field in driving and putting. Hideki Matsuyama led the field in putting. Hudson Swafford, don't have his stats in front of me, guessing he had a very good putting week that is what second in the field in putting yeah there you go that is what you get in those types of tournaments but this is following the rhythm that we see every year on the pga tour it is a soft opening to the year and then you turn the page and you get to tory it kicks in the teeth you go to pebble depending on the conditions that could be a little bit of a slog as well you get to florida yeah some people even say it is too difficult it's too difficult for the run-up to the masters the only difference this year rex and why i think you've seen a little bit more howling is just how low the scores are 34 under par that's going to happen when you get to kapalua and there is zero wind you are going to get some really insanely absurdly deep numbers wildlife it's a 7100 yard golf course par 70 no wind once again in honolulu yeah guys are gonna tear that up as well pj west it's like playing in a dome what feels different is just how deep, how many guys are going that deep, um, but it's not all that uncommon. So the story that I'm writing today, and Golf Journal Common, I hope you guys will check it out later once I actually, you know, put uh, pen to paper, Good is plug. how would a elite PGA Tour player set up a PGA Tour tournament for the best players? in the world talked to billy horschel about this yesterday talked to brooks kepka brooks kepka really doesn't care about much of anything except trophies and yet he was very good on how he would set up was he? a golf yeah absolutely he was terrific about it actually i would say tell me what his ideal winning score would be told me what he would do in terms of difficulty he said if you follow uh my competitive tournament schedule the last couple of years have been a little wonky the pandemic coming back from a knee injury needed to get some reps you look at his schedule it's kind of the Tiger schedule, right? He doesn't play cupcakes. He doesn't play tournaments where 20, 25 under par is going to win. He said, if I had to Monday qualify for every tournament, he said, I'd maybe make two of them. He goes, that's just not how I'm built. That's not how I'm wired. That's not how Tiger was wired either. Tiger never played tournaments where 20 to 25 under par was going to win. Why is that? Because that's not how the best player is identified any PGA tour card carrying member 
And there are 125 of them, and then a whole lot more who can get in uh, with their various statuses. Any of those guys are capable of shooting 25 under par in ideal conditions. Not everyone is capable of shooting 12 under par at Torrey Ponds to win the Farmers Insurance Open, and that's kind of what Brooks Kepka and the rest of the elite players are banking on. No, and I can see that. I think, and we touched on this on Sunday's Writer's Block when we talked about it, I think it turns out that John Ron was the only person that did not know last week's American Express was a putting contest, which is odd because he has won that event. You would have thought that, oh, okay, this is, I remember how I did it now. That's right. It's a putting contest. I mean, I, mean, I made so many birdies that year. Oh, yeah. Yes, it makes complete sense. And and look, even Hudson Swafford, who ended up winning on Sunday at the American Express, he, he even said, I didn't hit the ball all that great, but he gave himself enough chances and he was lights out on the greens. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Not everyone likes vanilla. There's a reason why Baskin and Robbins has it's 31 flavors still, right? Am I dating myself there? 31 flavors. Baskin and Robbins. Move on. Move on. There's a reason why that there are these different setups. I don't know what the problem was. Now that is a fascinating premise of how each player would do it. I would be curious if you kept going down the line, how many would lean towards that Brooks Kepka model of, okay, you've got to strike the ball well, and you've, the other aspects of your game have also got to be on. And who might lean towards who would rather play just a full schedule of nothing but American Express and Sony Opens and Kapaluas because that's the strength of my game, and I could end up winning you know, 80 events if I continue to play this schedule because my guess is it's wherever your strengths are. So are you saying, Rex, that I should go find a couple um... – Yes, Rank and file players is hey. What does that mean? I'm not gonna not gonna name names. You could probably find them uh, when I when I post this to Show.com, who identified as as potentially the the rank and file of the PJ Tour. I I do think every elite player. I would put Billy Orschel in that category. I put Brooks Kepka obviously in that category. John Rom uh, speaking uh, is at, at ten o'clock local time. I'm certainly going to ask him uh, his impressions of this. I think every elite player would agree that the PGA Tour is not challenging enough on a consistent basis. Billy Horst said you could probably count on one hand the number of tests that he, that he believes are difficult on their own on the PGA Tour. He certainly pointed up Torrey Pines. You look at PGA National, Innisbrook. Uh, Bay, Hill. Bay Hill, he said, is probably the easiest of the Florida Swing courses. He said TBC Sawgrass, when you go in May – that was an outstanding test. It's a little bit easier now with the overseed and cooler conditions in March. He, looked, he even pointed at Sedgefield. He said, this is not a debate on should golf courses be 8,000 yards because Sedgefield, he said, is about 7,100 yards. But the challenge is because the fairways are so small, the rough, it's really tough to control your ball from. If you're not hitting 65% of the fairways, you're probably not going to be competitive that week. This comes down to Rex, and both players mentioned this, both Brooks Kepka and uh, Billy Horschel. I'm sure more players uh, on Tuesday when I speak with them will agree with this. It comes down to venue selection. The PGA Tour courses need to be difficult on their own before you get into trying to spice them up uh, for the best players in the world. Caves Valley, I believe you covered this tournament last year, uh, the BMW Championship where you had – uh, Bryce Nishambeau and Patrick Cantley going 27, 28 under par to win that golf course. That on its own is not a difficult enough venue to challenge PGA Tour players. At that point, you have to hope for super thick rough. You have to hope for really firm and fast conditions and a little bit of wind to stress them out. 
when you don't get that, they're going to tear it up, which is exactly what they did. So Billy Horschel's the whole point, his whole premise of the entire eight-minute conversation he had. So the PGA Tour has to do a better job of identifying courses that on their own are difficult enough and not just hoping for a perfect storm to be able to put put some stress on these guys. And I don't disagree with what Billy said. And I'll take it a step farther only because of a conversation I had with the rules official last week. And it's probably apropos to the conversation that there was a three-course rotation because it's an amateur pro-am event. And of those three courses, La Quinta Country Club is by far the easier of the three, simply because it's kind of an old classic style country club. It's for the members. And so it's going to be a little bit different setup than what you're going to get at PGA West, which is more of a, of a vacation spot. It's going to be a place where people come in to kind of land in town and go to play. The official explained to me that even though they could probably play the two courses at PGA West longer, and certainly you could look at how they played the 17th hole and the 16th hole being the primary examples, they could play them, 100 yards longer if they wanted to. But the way they wanted to do it is to make sure there wasn't a huge disparity in distance for the three courses. And by far, La Quinta is landlocked at just a little bit over 7,000 yards, which means the other two have to play right around 7,000 yards simply because that's what the tour wants. To your point, as setup goes, it seems like they're handcuffing themselves. If there was the real estate there to put the teeth in the two PGA West courses, not saying it was going to make that big of a dis- difference because – I'm with Billy and most people on this. Distance doesn't make courses harder. It just makes them longer. I mean, we can come up with a thousand examples of of why that's true. What you're looking at here, though, is a PGA Tour that, by and large, doesn't want to set up courses that are difficult because the officials that are setting up the courses, they don't want to hear it from players when, who walk off the golf course and who are mad about a pin position on seven or what tee you're playing on number eight or how thick the rough is. They They don't want to hear it. By and large, they're going to take the path of least resistance. And that's a relatively easy course week in and week out. Now there are examples. I'm, I'm curious if Muirfield village came up because that to me is one of the harder tests, at least on the PGA tour schedule. And I think that has more to do with the fact that the host Jack Nicholas kind of puts his hand on the scale when the officials come to town and start setting up the golf course, he wants his golf course to play as a very, very specific test. And you, I don't think you see that at other venues. And I think the PGA Tour setup staff, who who are they're good people, they try really hard. They're trying. They're they're they they want to test. They're the good players. people. Wait, wait, and heavy on that one. They're good people. However, however, they're stuck here because they have to thread the needle. They have to find the balance between birdies and entertainment and roars because the PGA Tour is still an entertainment product that is being. Uh, consumed and disseminated for a worldwide global audience on television. They want to have an entertaining product, right? But you also want to challenge PGA Tour players, not just physically and having to hit it 325 yards or thread the needle in the fairway or stick your approaches close or make a lot, a lot of putts. You want to challenge them mentally. You want them to have to think. And I think right now the PGA Tour could be criticized in that it's a little bit too one-dimensional. There is not enough stress on a consistent basis on the PGA Tour. Brooks Kepke made the point, and I thought it was really smart, is that there needs to be an, an attitude change of the PGA Tour players where you have to think about penalties, not just hitting in a water hazard or hitting in a bunker. He's not talking about that. He's talking about you can't just fire at flags. There needs to be some sort of penalty 
for missing the green. You have to think about where you want to miss, missing on the correct side. That's what makes majors such a stress fest and why guys who win a U.S. Open or a PGA Championship, whatever the case may be, the day after, they're absolutely exhausted because their brain was working overtime. He said you would never see in, let's say, a U.S. Open, there's no penalty for missing a green. You see a guy chip in from off the green while short-siding yourself. That just never happens, right? Like if you miss short-sided at a U.S. Open, you're more than likely going to make bogey because you're going to have to make a 15-footer foot comebacker for par. So there has to be some sort of balance. And it, I think this is a really difficult task because PJ Tour wants to see birdies, but you also have to challenge them mentally. Those two are incongruous of, of what you're looking for on the PJ Tour. Well, uh, two things. And one, to your point about officials and, and trying to walk that tightrope, the one thing they don't want, and look, uh, Mark Russell and Slugger have moved on, but the one thing they never wanted is to see headlines like we saw with Mike Davis for all those years. Like they were never willing to go anywhere close to that line that Mike Davis was for the U.S. Open. And therefore, sometimes he fell on the wrong side of the line and he became the story. And the PGA Tour and certainly the officials who set up courses never want that to happen. I remember a few years ago, it happened at the Players' Championship because the forecast did, they had no rain whatsoever, and they had really, really high winds one day, and they didn't get enough water on the greens, and things got a little zooey, and players lashed Ken out. Is that, is that the Ken Duke 65? Yeah, that's the Ken Duke here, and players lashed out, and that's what they do not want. They do not want to fall on that side of the ledger. They don't want to get close to that side of the ledger, and I understand it to a, a certain degree. I think the Players' Championship – is a little bit different. But to your point, the, the second thing I wanted to touch on is this kind of reminds me, and, and this goes back to John Rom's poopy comment about it being a putting contest. <laughs> I mean, Hogan was really clear about this when I hate to talk about golfers who are no longer alive, because that just seems to me it would bore the public to death. But he always or, said that no, it was not just boring the public, but also boring me, but go on. But, but he would say that there's too much emphasis on putting in golf, that there, you know, it should be more of a ball striking game. And I would go the other way. Are we not seeing that in the NFL where you could argue that these athletes who are bigger, stronger, faster than they've ever been, and they're competing at a level that we've never seen before, and these games come down to the right foot of a slightly overweight, pudgy kicker who probably has never been in the gym in his entire life, could argue that maybe that's an outsized resource that should not be deciding this game. And so I can kind of see where they're coming from, but – I think John Rahm has said these words before. It's not a ball striking contest. Golf is not a ball striking contest. It doesn't matter how you get from point A to point B. You just have to do it in the least amount of strokes. And if you end up on the occasional week, and look, I don't want a steady diet of Sony Opens and American Expresses. I don't think anybody does. But I, but, think, but I think the argument is that the PJ Tour has too many of those. They, they might. And, and again, this is probably a setup issue more than anything else. I'd be curious to see if after a few weeks, once we get to Riviera and we've got two or three rounds in, under our belt in Los Angeles, how they would feel. Cause they will have come from, as you pointed out, toy ponds this week, Pebble beach can get, go on the nasty side. Certainly Monterey has been a huge addition to that. It's just as far as quality of golf course. And then you have Riviera, which is on the short side, proving the point. And most guys will tell you that this is perfect. It's a very, very good test. You, you not only have to, strike your golf ball well you have to putt well you have to think your way around the golf course so i would be curious after three of those right in your face bam 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 if the billy horses of the world would have the same opinion that he had yesterday yeah to me riviera is like the absolute perfect pj tour 
venue. And I've realized it's a classic golf course and you're not, you're not going to be able to get 40 of those throughout the PGA tour schedule. Uh, but to me, that is the, the, the pinnacle of a, I, I did this. that is, that's the ideal. Well, I, and I did this once I did this story a few years ago where if you go from city to city, keep the tour events in the same city, but play the best tour event in that city. Very rarely is the tour being the, the tour event being played on the best course in that city. Like, look, we, I live in Orlando still. You lived in Orlando for a long time. You and I can both agree Bay Hill is not the best course in Orlando. No, absolutely not. And I think by and large, PGA National is by far not the best course, at least not in that South Florida, Jupiter, West Palm Beach area. You can keep going down the list. I think Riviera is, is the outlier on that. It probably is. If it's not the best course, it's at least the best course that can host an event. Which is, which is Billy Horschel's point of yeah. let's go to great venues that you don't need to trick up in order to challenge PGA Tour players. Cause then you're just banking on, boy, I hope it, I sure hope it blows 20 this week. And I sure hope the rough is able to, to grow really thick and juicy. And I, I sure hope we don't get rain for a week. Cause we want the greens to be firm and fast. I mean, I don't know those exist. I don't just, know 48 just, of those exist. Thinking. I don't know that 48 of those exist. I wish they did, but let's, this is more of a, where the game's at moment that we're talking about is, do you really think there's 48 of those in different cities around the United States? Well, I think there's probably five to 10 more on the PGA tour, which would Maybe. get you away from, yeah. from these 20 to 25 under weeks and get you more to, to Billy Horschel's point. He said his sweet spot is eight to 15. If you can have the majority of PGA tour events, one in the eight to 15 under par range and look, things are going to happen, right? And it's going to, it could be soft. You could have no wind, whatever the case may be. If the majority of events are between eight and 15 under par, that is a better product that the pga tour is putting out and i i find a hard time disagreeing with that all right we've bored everyone to tears hold on hold on i I, since you since you brought up the nfl i was actually thinking about you on cinema you had a you had a three-hour drive to la did you actually get to watch the greatest football game ever played i probably should not admit this but yes i did thank you peacock i'm a little confused uh, yes, I pulled it up on my phone. I listened to it more than watched because I was driving and it was a very hazardous road and there was a lot of traffic and it took a little bit more than three hours. Watch out but... for the windmill. Yes, watch out for the windmill. Uh, yes, but I did listen to it and uh, I was screaming like the rest of America. What is happening? The last two minutes were insane. My wife was on a call with another mom. They're complaining about some daycare issue that we're currently having. And I was just, I was laying in bed, throwing up my hands, like hang up the phone. You have to watch this. This is insane. And of course I grew up in Western New York. My dad's a diehard bills fan. All of my high school buddies are diehard bills fans. And so just, just chiding them, goading them into thinking that this is actually going to be the time that they get over the, the, the hump and beat the chiefs. Oh, it was just, spectacular fun i just i'm amazed how football wins like every day got better right i mean if you start at the you know at the at the wild card weekend the super wild card whatever weekend like there were some really really bad games and so but as it progressed every game got better until we ended up with you know what was probably the best game of my lifetime now where do we go from here like there's only one way to go there's no way they continue to win is there i mean the the divisional playoff round is by far the best weekend to me in sports because those are those are teams that have already been battle tested in one playoff game. You have teams that are coming off the bye, so those are the best of the best. And it's two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. And I was actually talking with an agent yesterday. I said, "What are the chances that they actually make the Amex a Wednesday through Saturday 
event as well. It's just, this is what we have at the farmers. It's a, it's a great opportunity. The PJ tour is now is going to avoid going up head to head against the NFL conference championship games. It also allows them to have uh, the farmer's insurance invitational for some players on the APJ. It's going to be broadcast on Sunday. So that's a great opportunity for those guys to get a nice showcase as well. Put the Amex Wednesday through Saturday. That way you don't have this quick turnaround for the farmers. That way you don't go up against the divisional playoff games because the game on Saturday starts at 4.30 Eastern time. They can tee off bright and early on the desert, have that thing wrapped up at 4 o'clock, and once again, you do not battle up against the behemoth that is the NFL. I, I don't mind that at all because the the sort of craziness that was Sunday at, at you know with football, and then I'm trying to focus actually on my day job, which was the American Express, and then in the back of my mind, the, the Corn Ferry Tour, first round of the event in the Bahamas was Sunday. And to your point is, there's no reason we have to be married to these arbitrary Thursday through Sunday dates. I think you're absolutely right. Now, that we're, I'm going to be curious. I have never gone to Scottsdale for the waste management event. And I don't know what Sunday is like. They, they purposely. It's a dud. A, Sunday well, is it, a dud. It has to, and they purposely get the, get the final round out of the way so everyone can leave the golf course and get sometimes, back. Sometimes. No, sometimes. That thing wraps up at 6 o'clock. I remember a couple of years with – there was a Hideki playoff one year. There was a Webb-Tony playoff. That thing spills right into the first quarter. Like, what are you doing? Avoid this. You could. You could. And this seems to me it's more of a, of a network TV deal, and I don't pretend to understand that, than, more so than it is a PGA Tour thing trying to get out of the way. But, yes, I, I see what, you, what you're doing there. Well, I think there's, there's other issues at play, too, like the attendance – on a Wednesday is not, is not going to be as good as it, as it could be on a weekend, right? Like people have to work. People nece- can't necessarily get out to the golf course. Maybe the pro-am isn't as, as highly attended if it's a different time of week. There's, there's a whole lot of factors, but I'd love to see for the first month of the new PJ tour year, there is no reason to me why you can't be on a Wednesday through Saturday schedule. Now you're just you're talking in, crazy you're, talk. You're in, you're in Hawaii. What does it matter? What does it matter? Um, I mean, I, I think it, not every event. I mean, there's certainly yeah. going to be why, You're why right. Can, why can you not have the first four events on a Wednesday through Saturday schedule? Give me, give me one good reason. All four events, a Wednesday through Saturday schedule. Give me, give I mean, me one good reason. There's no reason not to. No. I mean, if you go all the way, if you start Kapalua and go all the way through. That's what I'm saying. Ponds, yeah, I'm fine with that. Good. I'm, yeah. glad, I'm no. glad we're in agreement then. We're in total agreement. Now, moving ahead, because I do want to focus. You you said it was flat without Tiger Woods there, and it feels like we're having. I didn't a, say it's flat. I said it's just not as big as it used to be. But it is a good field. What are your expectations this week? And did, did does John Rom rebound from the putting contest? I mean, John Rom still had a good week, didn't he? Still finished inside the top twenty as John Rom uh, tends to do, and now he's he and Patrick Cantlay both struggled mightily on those greens, and both still had really good weeks. Yeah, that's that's because they're they're very good at the game. Uh, and now you're heading now to John Rom's happy place, right? This is the site of his first PGA Tour win in 2017, dramatic fashion with a couple eagles. On the back nine, obviously, he won the U.S. Open here about eight months ago. Yeah, all eyes are on John Rahm. His history at this golf course is is just exceptional. Besides the um, couple of years ago where he finished, I think, outside the top 20, he's been inside the top 10 every other year. Also looking forward to seeing Hideki Matsuyama coming off that Sony Open. You've had Xander, the local boy, Phil Mickelson. Who Did he finish DFL in the desert? No, I think he he snuck out of the basement at the very end, uh, 155th out of 156. Not ideal. Not ideal for for sure. But, you, I mean, you got – He was in a weird mood. I got to be honest with you. He was in a mood 
there was some tone issues. I had to, to, to catch him on following the final round or his final round, which is Saturday, just some stuff on the side and whew, tone. What happened? Uh, he just wasn't in, again, he's, he's the host of that event. He did not hold a press conference early in the week, which was odd because that's what hosts do. He didn't talk to the press after any of the three rounds. So I, I just, I don't understand where his head's at. I don't know if, if he's trying to maybe lay a little low based on everything that's going on right now in the golf world, in his name swirling around, whatever the super league is going to happen. It was certainly whatever happened between he and the PGA tour over the, the pip and, and him claiming victory and everyone at the tour screaming at the top of their lungs that the contest wasn't over. So <laughs> I, I, I think maybe he was trying to stay away from microphones as best he could, or, or maybe he's trying to distance himself from the American express, but it was weird. The tournament host did not have a press conference. Yes. I mean, and, and I can't imagine you and I have covered a lot of events that have host. I can't imagine Jack Nicholas not talking. Can you imagine that? Like that's all he does is talk that week. I mean, it's glorious. I mean, we're anticipating that Tiger Woods is going to talk uh, probably Tuesday of tournament week at the Genesis Invitational, are we not? Like Tiger's I mean, the host. The hero, he spent all day Tuesday talking and he hadn't talked for almost, you know, basically half a year since the accident. So yeah, there's no reason to think that he wouldn't do the same thing at Riviera. Um, and I think it's it's worth pointing out too, Rex, that Sportico, I believe it's called, is own is is operating the American Express. That's the uh, represent uh, representative company for John Rom. That's why John Rom's playing in the desert. I'm sure he loves the West Coast. I'm sure he what loves. The, is it Sportico? Is that it? It's Sport Five. You did it on Riders Block the other night, but did you I? Call, it's it's former name. I didn't want to correct you then, but I'm going to correct you now. It's Sport uh, Five. Go on. It's it's early. I, I apologize, but that's why John Rom. Uh, is playing in the desert. Sure, he loves the West Coast. Sure, it's easy to get to from Scottsdale, but there's also uh, reasons why he is he's teeing up the desert for that uh, piece of um, what was it called? Piece poop. of piece poop. of poop, uh, putting contest week. That's right. No, and yes, there probably is something there. However, Patrick Cantlay is not represented by Sport Five, so there was no reason for him to be there other than he wanted to play the putting contest and the piece of poop. So you can, I mean, I, I think you're fishing a little bit on that one. I'm going to transition to the other hot topic coming from last week, which was interesting. Uh, the guardian spoke with Patrick Harrington over in Abu Dhabi and the conversation turned to the next Ryder cup captain for the European team. And this would dovetail with, they normally make their announcement about this time of year. And Patrick Harrington through his support, behind Luke Donald, which is a little surprising. It, this is sort of groundbreaking because Harrington is one of five people on the selection committee, and he's probably going to be the loudest voice on that selection committee based on the fact that he is the most recent captain. It's probably not shocking that Luke would end up on someone's short list. What's shocking here is first and foremost, Lee Westwood bowed out. He, he wants to continue to compete, so he took a pass this time around. Where this gets fascinating is between Luke Donald and Henrik Stenson, and it seems to me there is a little metaphorical and real line in the sand being drawn between the European Tour and those players who are flirting with the Super League and the Saudis because this seems like the tipping point. Are you saying that Luke Donald's not the target of the, of the Saudi Golf League? It doesn't seem so because his name's certainly not popping up on all the lists that we see. Now, certainly, he, I'm sure his people have been in conversations like everyone else's people in golf. But no, I don't think he's he's on the short list to, to be a team owner or whatever it is they're going to do. And and I'm not even saying I kind of had Luke as a future captain regardless. I don't know if I had him this time around in Rome, 
but I just think he's been in enough team rooms. He's played on four winning teams. He's been a fight vice captain four times. I had a chance to talk to Graham McDowell about him, what he brings to the team room. And Graham actually compared him very favorably to Potter. He said, look, they're, they kind of had the same mind. And that's why he was such a good vice captain for Harrington, because they were always sort of on the same sheet as far as trying to play that tune that Harrington wanted to maintain. And the one thing that Graham said that stood out is he knows what makes a good team room and whatever that, that, that secret sauce is, I don't know what it is. And the Americans discovered it at whistling straits. The Europeans have had it for a long, long time, seem to have lost it last time around, but I think he's, he would, and he will make a good captain where this gets fascinating to me is this is where we're going to, to to draw that, put that wall up, right? This is where we're going to tell Henrik Stinson to stop making flirty eyes at the Saudis in the Super League and, and come back to our side, or you're not going to get your turn as captain. I don't know how much it means to Stinson, and the numbers that I've read in, in various reports are he's been offered $30 million. So is that how much it's going to cost? Everyone's got a price, right? Everyone, you write me a pay, you write me a check, and everyone's got a price. And is that his price? For giving up the captaincy, I, I think my guess is it probably is. Yeah, I mean, there's so there's so much to get into. I I, I do agree with you. I think Luke Donald will make an exceptional European Ryder Cup captain. He has plenty of experience as a player. He has plenty of experience as an assistant captain. He's he's well liked. He's a very astute, sharp, insightful guy. And I think if the matchup ends up being like a Luke Donald versus a Zach Johnson, I think that's a a really tactical, uh, strategic matchup between captains because. We usually talk about well how players are going to match up. I think that could be a really tactical challenge between the two captains. I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch. I want to circle back to the guy who we all expected to be the 2023 captain, and that was Lee Westwood. He would be 50 years old in September 2024. Sorry, 2023. He'd be 50 years old. He is coming off a Ryder Cup in which he went one and two and was basically a non-factor for the second half of the year. He even spoke in early 2021 about how he didn't even know if he wanted to be on yet another Ryder cup team and that it was time to kind of pass the torch and you know, maybe he's not cut out for that anymore. Do you actually believe him that he wants to give it another go in a Ryder cup or is he too, as you put it with Henrik Shenson, giving too many flirty eyes to the Saudis and, and too enamored with the idea of a super league to potentially get caught up in that conflict. Oh, no. I think Lee is – he's gone beyond flurry eyes, has he not? I mean, I believe it was last year at the PGA Championship where he was basically the only player who said that, yes, if they gave me – if they wrote me a check, I'm going to go play for the Super League. Like, that, that's, why, that's, why, that's why I don't, I don't believe him at all. That's why I don't believe him at all. He says he, he just wants to play in one more Ryder Cup. He probably buys himself some time. And, and, look, he played well, at least at the beginning of last year, well enough to to put himself in that. And, you know, we've had this conversation about Phil. Yeah, when yeah, you he, was get, a, he was an automatic qualifier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I did not think I, – I think I was on record saying that he wasn't going to be on that team. But I think he – once you get to a certain age, you only need to see one or two weeks out of the year to, to fool yourself into thinking that, yeah, I can still do this. I can still give this a shot. So I think there is something deep down inside where he wants to continue to compete. That being said – if he can defer this one and wait until the next time around and to see where all the cards are going to fall when it comes to whatever's going to happen with the Super League and however the synergy between the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour shakes out, yeah, he's going to buy himself three years. But aren't but if you're European, aren't you fighting to the death 
to be able to be the captain of a home rider cup because we've seen over the past decade in particular the home field home course home advantage has become so stark now and the difference between the visitors and home is is so advantageous that you want to be a winning rider cup captain you look at Padre Carrington versus a Darren Clark versus uh, Paul McGinley versus a Thomas Bjorn. I mean, the level of respect, admiration, the boost to your legacy. If you are a winning Ryder Cup captain, it's a big deal. These guys, particularly in this mold of a player who hasn't, you know, won a major championship as Lee Westwood or a Luke Donald or a Thomas Bjorn haven't done to be able to be a home Ryder Cup captain, a victorious Ryder Cup captain, it's a huge deal. You would think these guys would be stumbling all over themselves in order to get a crack at it because what, are you going to wait till 2027? Well, what if the faces of the European Tour have changed by that point? What if the leadership, you know, if you have these these dalliances with the Saudis, maybe that rules you out forever. To me, that's a, that's a huge risk. Why not just do it and, and delay the Super League talk for two years as opposed to delaying the Ryder Cup talk. How many different ways can we say this? A tryst with the Super League? We could just keep going. <laughs> can't we? Just crack open the thesaurus and just start naming off things. How many different ways can we say flirty eyes? <laughs> uh, no, I think yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, if you have the opportunity to, to be a home captain, that's much more advantageous. I think there's a little bit of unknown when it comes to the course in Rome. I, I don't know that they even expect it. I don't know if it's going to be a true home field advantage. But it's still going to be 90-10 in terms of partisan support. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I think golf course setup is, is where there's going to be a question. Sure. And, again, I think this is just a move on Lee's part twofold. Again, I truly think he thinks he can compete still, and he might be able to once he gets to certain courses. But the other half is is he he's clearly – on the Super League side of this. And you're right. I mean, this is going to shake out over the next year or two. So if he can sort of delay his decision at least one more year or two more years, he's going to buy himself a little bit of space. I totally understand that. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, I'd be shocked if he was on that. I, I know you didn't pick him to be at Whistling Straits. I'd be utterly shocked if he's playing at a caliber that's, that's high enough at age 50 to be able to be a serious contender for that European Ryder Cup team. There are so many great young players who will have, what, 18 months more of seasoning and resume building your boy, Tomas. Tomas big, big Tommy Peters. I mean, it was great to see him win uh, his six European, or excuse me, DP world uh, tour yeah. title. He was one of those players in 2016 that you expected so much and clearly that the talent is there. But yeah, I mean, he's a perfect example of that Sam Horsfield. Uh, he's, been out there now he's cracking the top 100 in the world your hogard twins i mean there are a lot of really young talented players who 18 months is an eternity in professional golf and i, I had a marshall last me asked me last week if i was related to the twins and i was I like mean, not even spell the name the same way no i'm not related very very similar when you see it on paper though i got i, I, I gotta i gotta admit that it Very has simple. an H and two O's and a J. Like, I, I don't have a J in my name. I don't know if you've noticed, but no, I'm not related to them. It's, it depends who's who's pronouncing your name, I suppose. It, it does depend on who's pronouncing my name. All right, let's get out of here on this since we're, we touched on what happened in Abu Dhabi. And there's two that we sort of touched on on Sunday night to take a little bit deeper dive. What's your level of concern, one to ten, for both Roy McElroy and Colin Morikawa? 
Rory's minus five. Minus five. Oh, I didn't know we had that. I didn't know you could do that. From one to ten, yeah, he's like a minus five. I'm literally not concerned in the slightest. He has shown a vast improvement uh, since that Ryder Cup performance, and not just the CJ Cup victory on the PJ Tour in the fall, but he also had a chance to win uh, in Dubai. And, and look, he played well over the weekend in Abu Dhabi. I, I think it was just just a weird one. I mean, you never see 40-mile-an-hour wind gusts uh, in Abu Dhabi. That's basically the American Express. You do. You do. It just makes things very, very difficult. You said that the other night. But trust me, there's plenty of times when you do, but yes. Yeah, I mean, there's been sandstorms. I'm saying for this PG Tour event, or excuse me, for this DP World Tour event in mid-January, it is exceedingly rare to see those types of conditions. Mostly, it's basically the the Amex of the DP World Tour. Like, it's going to be warm weather. It's going to be... No breeze. It's going to be uh, ideal scoring conditions. That's why a lot of guys like to begin their year there. It's a, it's a soft launch. And so, no, to see 40-mile-an-hour wind gusts and Rory struggling them and make the cut. And minus five for Rory. Who you got for uh, – what you got for Colin? Colin? So he had some interesting comments on Tuesday tournament week. He is playing again in Dubai, as is Rory. He said he spent – he said this was probably the hardest he's ever worked pre-tournament uh, on his game. Sounds a little bit lost. Sounds like he is very much trying to find his old swing. Doesn't know how to get it. He said he spent hours on the range, countless hours on the range, I believe is his exact uh, expression, with his caddy and agent trying to figure it out. A little concerning to me. I'll put it at a three. I don't think I have any concern whatsoever. And look, I I think with Rory, I'm not going to go minus five. I might go minus two simply because, only because, and you pointed out that that he got kind of got caught in the windstorm on Friday, but by comparison to what he's done, I mean, we ran the graphic last week of how he has played in his first event of the year. And it's phenomenal how he seems to just show up with no rust whatsoever. And it seems to me, at least for two days, there was rust. If not rust, then maybe just he wasn't interested. I don't know how, how to put this. Like, he 72-75 to start the week, and then it almost was like, oh, I need to make the cut. Oh, yeah, I need to get back into this tournament. So he did flip a switch. I'm right there with you. And no, I wasn't overly concerned with Morikawa, but to your point, yes, he has, he has a tendency to, to be hot or cold in my book. And trust me, he spent last year more hot than cold, but I do think there are going to be times when he throws an egg out there and we don't see it coming. Yeah. I mean, I think he tied for 62nd uh, after making the cut on the number does not have a swing coach, Rick Sessenhouse uh, out in, in Dubai with him. I just didn't like him saying, and look, he said he's in a better place than he was at this time last week, but trying to find his old swing was just a kind of a strange, odd thing for him to say. I'm not worried about him long-term, but I'm not necessarily uh, picking him uh, to win the golf tournament this week, put it that way. And I didn't, I'm going to admit here, I didn't pay attention to what was going on in Abu Dhabi, but now I look at the, the leaderboard. That's a fun leaderboard. If you want kind of a throwback Thursday there, I mean, your boy Tomas who, uh, who won, Big, but Tom. then you get Big Tommy, but then you got Rafa Cabrera Bello, who is one of the funnest people in the world from, to interview. And then Shubaka. You love him. You love him. Yeah. And then Victor Dubasson, who I didn't even think still played professional golf. And like a Rolex series event. Like this wasn't just a, 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 a little event in Switzerland. I mean, this was a Rolex series event, huge money. Great to see Victor Dubasson. Always wanted to do a feature on him. Uh, never could make that happen. Perhaps there's still time for me. Uh, I don't know if you could have pulled that one off. It's 
Eh, as What's much as I'm saying Victor Dubuisson, he, he was a tough interview. He is a tough interview. I know. That's why you got to talk to other people around him. Oh, all right. Going to do a report job. Very good. All right. Before we get out of here, you will not be smoking or grilling or, I don't know, charring any kind of meat this week because, as we pointed out, you're at Toy Pines. But I will, and, and I'm just going to touch on this quickly, I have decided since it's so cold in Florida, it is freezing cold in Florida, by the way, in case you were curious, I'm going to try to do um, chili on the new pit barrel smoker. And I've looked up a couple of recipes, so wish me luck. What? How yeah, are you going to do that? that? The pit barrel is on, has, has rebar. Uh, not, no, you can take the rebar out. I mean, it's, it's, it's adjustable. So you got to put a tray in there or a rack in there? There is a rack, yeah. So you, instead of the rebar, you, you put the rack in there. However, you put the, the rebar back in when you – so essentially what you do, it, it's a tri-tip. You're going to smoke that for, I don't know, two, two and a half hours. And then you're going to dice that up, put it into a oh, kettle pot, and then you put the kettle pot back in using the rebar. That sounds glorious. I made smoked chili uh, a couple weeks ago when we also had a cold snap. I believe you were uh, doing something else. Smoked that bad boy at 225, let it purr for about five or six hours, and smoked chili is delicious if you've never had it. However, I have never smoked the meat, diced it, and put it back in. That sounds wonderful. Yes, I can't wait to hear how that comes out. All right, I, I will give that a shot. Where are you eating this week? Give me one. Give me one thing outside of the brig because I've already thrown the brig in there. Definitely got to hit the brig. Uh, there actually is a very good Italian restaurant right next to the hotel in Solana Beach. And Rex, I went to this sushi restaurant like three years ago. I need to look. Did you just not not a big sushi guy? Uh, no, I am. It's not. I, I just don't want to talk sushi at 530 in the morning. Says something just didn't hit me right. But OK, go ahead. Oh, God, it was absolutely divine. I need to find the restaurant. It was somewhere in Del Mar, right on the ocean. Uh, it was fantastic. So I need to find that because uh, there is plenty of good eats in Del Mar. I'm not I'm not too worried about that. All right. Enjoy the road. We will be back at it next week. Lab will be back in Orlando, actually, next week. Right. I will be back in Orlando doing golf today from our old NBC Sports studio there. That's right. And we'll be back doing it. Maybe maybe we can actually do it live, like in the same location again. We Let's can, do it can. live. That's right. That'll do it for this Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. <laughs>